good to be with you guys this morning in a little bit of a different context, I might add. Um, I, was telling, I was thinking about this process, and this is a little bit of a different atmosphere. My audience consists usually of about one. So, so this is a little bigger than I'm used to, um, but I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, and I promise I won't ask, how does that make you feel? As the, as the counselor in me, um, I, I work with people day in and day out, um, oftentimes working through very challenging feelings. Um, you know, things that have brought people to my office are often the very painful, challenging things that people must, must walk through. And I'm often very honored to sit with people in that capacity. Uh, I, I never want to lose sight of how challenging our emotions can be. And if you're joining us for the first time in this series, um, we're talking about feelings. And the sermon or the series entitled All the Feels. As we think about feelings, if you can look over your own lives, you can probably see how feelings can come and go, can, can sometimes bring the flavor of life that allows us to enjoy and experience the beauty that God has designed for us, and it can sometimes make a mess of a situation. Has anybody ever made a mess of a situation because of your emotions? You sent send on that email when you probably should have thought about it a little longer. You, you, you said that thing. You probably wish you could go back in time and take it back. You blew up at your kids when you didn't really want to do it that way. Like feelings can have a way of bringing great joy and experiencing what God has created. And it can also distract us from where God wants us to be. So if, if you've not been current on this series, I would encourage you to go find the replays. You know, Scripture shares a lot of wisdom on feelings. And, and Q, I appreciate so much how Q has integrated the fact that we are created in God's image and our feelings are not somehow segregated from that creative design. That God is, knew exactly what he was doing when he created us the way that he created us. Our flaws and all, right? So, so I appreciate the fact that we can come together as a body of believers and embrace this aspect of who we are and how we're designed. So today we're going to look at scripture and we're going to talk about the feeling of discouragement or burnout. Maybe you've been walking through life and you've found yourself discouraged, burned out, and, and run down and overwhelmed. You know, I often experience when I work with people the challenges that people face with just finding a way to define what they're feeling. And men, we're probably the worst offenders of this, right? Our, our wives or, or people around us might ask, how, how are you feeling? Like, oh, okay, good. Fine. You know, as men, you know, we, we kind of are, are told we only get a few emotions anyway, or, or we might lose our man card somehow. But so, so I want to create a working definition of what does it mean to be burned out, or what does it mean to be discouraged? Maybe it's this growing sense of hopelessness. You, you struggle to see the blessings around you. Maybe you're filled with despair, loss of interest, 
Things that once captivated you, excited you, seem to have lost their luster. You you can't seem to find your passion any longer. Weariness, that perpetual state of tiredness. Has anybody ever been there? You ask somebody how they're doing. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Feeling defeated. Viewing yourself as a failure. Isolation. Withdrawing. Not wanting to be around people. We were at Costco the other day, and I kind of felt that feeling. If you've ever been to Costco on a Saturday afternoon, good Lord, there is a lot of people. There was a shirt that I saw not a while back that said, I can't people today. I kind of had that feeling yesterday. I'm like, I was done with people. Agitation. That sense of that grumpy, agitated feeling. The, the sound of, of people breathing around you gets on your nerves. You've been there? This is, this is a feeling of discouragement. This is what it begins to look like and how it starts to shape in our lives. Not only that, but it also maybe takes a physical toll on our bodies. A, a, a different kind of weariness. A, a just a fatigue that sets in. Stomach aches, headaches. When we're discouraged... It, it affects us, mind, body, and spirit. So what are places that seeds of discouragement might grow? Setbacks instead of results. Defeat instead of victory. Failure instead of success. Unmet needs instead of fulfillment. Comparison instead of contentment. Each of these things has a way of Planting seeds of discouragement. Scripture often defines discouragement by losing courage. Or, and I really like this way, it says to lose heart. And, and time after time, if you look in Scripture, we see this phrase in Scripture. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. I think God knows something about us, right? And, and throughout Scripture, time and time again, it says, don't be discouraged. I think we need that reminder. God knows we live in a world that's broken. And we need reminders of who he is. I think it goes without saying that we've all been discouraged now and then. And it's not so much that we've been discouraged that's the problem. It's staying in that place. Think of times in your own lives and the sources of discouragement that might have come. And maybe why. I asked my kids this week about times in their own lives where they've been discouraged. And it was very similar to probably the things that we've all experienced. Times where they've worked so hard for something. uh, And they didn't quite see the results of that work. They they wanted to be in a, a play and they didn't get the part. Or they've worked hard in gymnastics or on the golf course and they, they've worked hard and they just haven't seen the results of where they wanted to be. Have you been there? Have you felt this pull of discouragement that's pulling at you, discouraging, pulling you away from the Lord, pulling you away from this community of believers? It has such a powerful force to distract us from where God wants us to be. So I want to kind of turn to Exodus chapter 6. And in this 
picture of discouragement. I think it's going to show, shed a light on the dangers of discouragement. But before I get started with that, I want to kind of set the stage a little bit about what's happening. Moses was given a message from God. So, so here, the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt, and God is hearing their complaining. The, the Israelite people are complaining about their, their situation. God being the loving God that he is, he says, I have heard their groaning. And what does a loving God want to do for us? He wants to encourage us. He wants to build them up. So he, so he, sends, he gives Moses a message to deliver to the Israelites. So look with me in chapter 6, verse 6, six through 8. It says, therefore, this is, this is the message that he's to deliver to the Israelites. Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and a mighty axe of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you to a land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. See, he's reminding them of the past. He was reminding them of who he is so that these people can say, oh yeah, that's, we don't have to be discouraged. And then he goes on to say, I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This is a bold promise to God's people. And again, to set the stage a little bit, promises in that day and age, or a covenant in that day of age, was not something that you took very lightly. A promise, you know, we might say things, I'll promise, I'll do this or I'll do that. And it doesn't maybe carry as much weight as in this day and age. But a covenant in this day and age was binding by your life. So I want to make sure we understand what's happening here. God, the creator of the universe, who couldn't be destroyed, is promising them with everything that he has, I am the Lord. Listen, I am going to rescue you. I am going to give you a way out. You no longer have to be discouraged because I am the Lord. But listen in verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites. But they did not listen because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Friends, when we are discouraged, we fail to hear the promises of God. We can't hear it. We're, we're too busy focused on the other things, the things that are pulling us away, and we can't hear the message that God wants for us. A message of hope, a, re- a message of redemption, a message of reconciliation. God's people were so discouraged, they couldn't hear it. They couldn't hear the promise. But the impact didn't stop there. If we go on in the rest of this passage, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with faltered lips. Friends, when we become discouraged... It has an infectious process around to to the community of believers. It it doesn't just affect, it infects. We fail to hear God and we fail to trust his promises when we're discouraged. 
Not only that, but it negatively impacts and discourages others. The evil one would like nothing better than to render God's people ineffective by the power of discouragement. How effective are we when we're discouraged? What's your mission? What's your, what's your calling? Are you doing that? I would say when we're discouraged, we lose sight of that. In John 10, we see Jesus reminding his people that the evil one has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give life. Don't miss the promise. Don't be like the Israelites. Jesus has come to give us life. And if we're too discouraged, we can't hear it. But there's a promise right there that he's given to us. Jesus is speaking And he says, I've come, not not that you have to deal with all this stuff in this world, but so that you can have life and have it more fully in me. So how do we defeat discouragement? We're going to fast forward a little bit in Scripture, and we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah, again, background of, of this book, Nehemiah is saddened by the state of Jerusalem. They're coming back out of the Babylonian exile. The Jewish people return home to a war-torn country and see their beloved city in ruins. This greatly affected Nehemiah. He goes before God and prays before God to to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and, and thereby rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. He not only prays, but he he approaches King Artaxerxes in that time. He asked for favor from the king because nothing would happen without that approval. So the king gave governmental resources, physical resources, letters of safe passage, uh, letters that would allow him to use resources to rebuild the wall in the form of lumber and to build the gates. So I want to read through this passage and glean from it some lessons that we can learn to defeat discouragement. And and this passage is a little bit longer, so bear with me. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates, the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? Burned as they are, Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break it down, their walls of stone. Hear us, O God. So we're now moving to the the Jewish people crying out to God. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So so we rebuilt the wall till about half of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all of their hearts. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that their repairs of Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that they had gaps, the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judea said, The strength of the builders is giving out, 
And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. And I want to kind of go back to verse 6. When it says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. And that brings us to the first lesson from Nehemiah, that we first need to look up instead of out. The Jewish people began to look out across them, and they began to see the work that went ahead of them. Now, mind you, they have gotten halfway And I think it's no accident that isn't that where discouragement likely sets in the most? We get halfway through something and we lose steam. You know, it's it's a lot easier to get into debt than to get out of debt, right? It's a lot easier to make a commitment than it is to fulfill a commitment. It's easier to start a diet, right, (laughs) than be successful in that diet. So it's so many things are so much easier to start, but much more difficult to sustain. And and that's kind of where they are. They're they're looking at the wall and they're tired. Really? We got got more to do? And and, uh, mind you, halfway around this city, half of the wall is built. It It wasn't that they didn't have the skills. It wasn't that they didn't have the capability. It wasn't that they didn't have any of those things. It was they, they took their eyes off of the Lord. And they began to look at what was before them. The criticisms of these two knuckleheads that are talking about, you know, oh, they're going to rebuild this wall. What would it say? Even foxes can, like, really? They're going to do this? And they began to hear the criticism instead of focusing on the Lord. You know, if we do the same, it doesn't take very long for us to get discouraged when we just look at this world, right? Turn on the news for like half a second, and you can see things in this world. There's, there's wars. I, I realize that as we talk about this, we're almost kind of in that same kind of a place, Right? There's wars, disease, destruction, disasters, floods, hurricanes. There's no shortage of things. And we could go on and on about the sources of discouragement in our world. But God has not only given the Israelites a promise, he's also given us a promise. Again, look in John chapter 16. It says, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. This world, you will face trouble. But take heart. There it is. But take heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't don't lose steam. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, we don't have to be discouraged. Even though we look out and we see the, the depravity, we see the decay, we know that we can take heart. We can be encouraged because... I have overcome the world, it says in Scripture. You know, this is not the way God designed this world. God created this world in seven days, and after each of those days, he says it was good, and it was perfect. But God's creation was broken. It was broken by sin, and the things that we deal with today are a result of sin being a part of this world, not because God's up there somehow this you know, cosmic puppet master creating good for some and bad for others. 
I think we have to understand first our theology and understand who God is. God is a benevolent, loving God that wants good. We sang about, we just sang about it. He wants good for all of us. Don't miss the promises of God. Wherever you're at in your life, if you're, if you're coming to this place this morning feeling discouraged, God has a promise for you. God wants you to hear that promise that he loves you, that he wants good for you. Nehemiah and the Israelites faced discouragement when rebuilding the wall. They lost sight of their goal and they began to focus on their challenges. Second lesson from Nehemiah is we need to look up instead of in. And if you look at verse 10 in Nehemiah, it says, Then the people of Judea began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Mind you, they've been doing this. They're halfway through. What changed? They're human. They got tired. You all ever get tired? Yeah. We get tired. But when we find our strength in the Lord and and not our own abilities... There's strength that comes from that. They doubted, they doubted their own abilities. They lost confidence. Filled with self-doubt, they began to complain. Isn't that another source of where discouragement can start to set in? We start to focus on me, my wants, my needs. They took their eyes off their goal. They shifted from their mission to their misery. We often become discouraged for the very same reasons. We lose sight of God's mission and and God's plan for each one of us in our lives. And we kind of start doing it our own way. We we kick God out of the driver's seat and we we take the wheel, right? We we start going our own direction and we lose sight. And, And before long, we're way over here where God maybe has wanted us somewhere else. Yeah, but it's okay, right? Because our world says it's all about you. It's all about what you can do. It's all about your self-identity, uh, or it's about your, your realizing all these things. The, the self-help industry alone in, in this world is about a $10 billion industry. Now, not, not that self-help is altogether bad, but when it doesn't include God in that, I, I think we are running a risk of losing track of what God is wanting from us. With this self-focus, we click, quickly run out of steam. You know, God reminds us, says, I am limited while he is limitless. I am finite where he is infinite. I am weak where he is strong. I think when we understand that we serve an almighty God, the creator of this universe, there's, there's nothing that escapes him. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like that's pretty comforting to know I don't have to have all the answers. I can lay it at the foot of the cross and I can know that my God is faithful and he will take me where I need to be. Whether we call it self-esteem, self-acceptance, we sometimes judge ourselves by that ruler, right? The appearances or our net worth or our social connections, our career, our achievements. And when we measure ourselves with that ruler, we can't but help to be discouraged. There's always going to be somebody better, somebody richer, somebody wiser, somebody that has more credentials. 
And if we solely look at those things, it's easy to be troubled and discouraged. The trouble with this worldly focus is we lose a significant part of what provides us the greatest value. That God places his stamp on us. That we are created in his image. When we fix our eyes on God and understand whose we are and that we are loved by the creator of the universe, it doesn't matter what we have, who we know, what we've accomplished. We are simply created by God and loved by him because we are. We are created by God and loved by him because we are. Period. We're often jumping through so many hoops, trying to earn things, but God says, I love you, and I want good for you. We didn't do anything. He just loves us and wants good for us. Listen to James 1.7. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We can trust in God's promises. And lastly, if we fail to look at God, then we are tempted to give up. And that's our last lesson from Nehemiah. Look up instead of giving up. When opposition comes, we must remain steadfast, not giving up. The Israelites were tempted to give up. They saw the level of work ahead. They looked out and became discouraged. They doubted God could use them. When they looked at themselves and their limitations and their limited abilities, when they looked in, they doubted. They failed to see what God had called them to and trust in his strength. Nehemiah 4, 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember, they're they're sending insults and they're sending attacks and, and threatening them at every turn. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And there it is again. If we get discouraged, what impact will that have in your home? God gave them a purpose to fight for. So I ask you, what is your purpose? What anchors you in your faith? We know that troubles will come. You will face troubles. That was not an if. You will face troubles. Many of you have already faced troubles in this life. But remember God's promises in that. And what anchors you in your faith? What's going to motivate you to carry on when these seeds of discouragement might start to set in? Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Being steadfast in our faith, remembering what Jesus did for us. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy. There we are again, those weird Christians. Considering it joy when we face trouble. Who does that? 
We do that because we know our focus is, is not on this world, but on what's to come. Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Whatever may be discouraging you, God might be using to grow you. I want to close with this story. And many of you may know uh, this person in history is uh, Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch watchmaker during the time of World War II. And, and her family were uh, rescuing Jews who were fl- fleeing Nazi Germany. It wasn't long after Corrie and her family themselves became arrested and thrown in concentration camps. Ten days later, her father passes, and Corey is able to survive this time of life. Went on to be a prolific writer and uh, speaker about God and faith. She pens these words. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Jesus, you'll be at rest. Ladies and gentlemen, don't, don't forget the, the antidote to defeating discouragement is fixing our eyes on the Lord, remembering the promises that are there. 